Welcome to the On The Right Path podcast. I'm Brett Gunning, your host of the show. Today we continue with our Pete Knoll series as we speak to Stan Morrison, one of Pete's former players at the University of California, Berkeley. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Stan, great to have you here today on the uh, podcast. I, I wanted to to really jump right into it and ju- just hear how did uh, you know if you could talk about your first encounters with Pete? How did how did he steal a, a SoCal kid to get up to uh, Northern California? It was by accident. He sent <laughs> uh, he sent Stu Inman, uh, a very close friend of his, who's passed. Uh, Stu was the first general manager of the Portland Trailblazers. In fact, had the dubious distinction of having been the guy who passed on Michael Jordan uh, to take uh, uh, the kid Roby, the big, big, tall kid from Kentucky, I think was. Uh, who, oh, uh, Bowie, Bowie, Sam Bowie, you know, Sam Bowie. Sam Bowie, I'm sorry. Yep. Anyway, um, so he's, uh, Stu at that time was at Orange Coast College, and Pete asked him to go take a look at Jerry Pym. Yeah, uh, Jerry. Santa Barbara. Exactly. And, and Jerry and I are very close friends and we played against each other in high school. We both graduated uh, in 56. And, uh, uh, and, and Jerry, in fact, Jerry was a parade All-American, first team All-American. Uh, and so Bellflower High School, where I went, uh, in Dairyland, uh, <laughs> played with a bunch of kids named, you know, Ochterhoff and Verhoeven and all those Dutch names. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, we played uh, Montebello High School, and Jerry Jerry grew up in a YMCA. His dad was a YMCA director, and he shot a million shots and was a great shooter. And so Stu came to see him play, and I had a good game. And uh, he came to my locker room afterwards instead, and and he told Pete, "Well, you you have no reason to know this. I, my I started my senior year in high school. I was 15." Wow. Uh, which is a long story. So I went to school at Berkeley <laughs> at 16, but nobody knew because they figured it took 20 years to get that tall anyway. And, <laughs> and so he told Pete about it. One thing led to another and they flew me up. The first, we were really, I was really poor. Yeah, I was from a very poor family thinking about college. Even JC was foreign to us because there, there simply was no money to afford that. And so here came this great opportunity and, um, uh, I, I had won an award here in Southern California called the Frank Lloyd Wright Award. That's that's the name of America's finest architect. And I, I was an architecture student uh, originally when I went to Cal, and uh, they had a wonderful department. So anyway, they flew me the first time I ever flew in an airplane. Wow. And, I, I, and I'm sure my uh, fingerprints are still on the handles because I was scared. <laughs> and Bob Blake and Larry Friend picked me up at the San Francisco airport. Pete took, sent them. And uh, uh, we we drove over the Bay Bridge, which scared me to death. Is it going to hold up? <laughs> you know, and, and I, I was, trust me, I was the single most naive guy ever to go to Berkeley. And so we went and I stayed at the uh, Beta Theta Pi fraternity, Bob uh, Blake's fraternity, and stayed in one of, one of the open beds. Somebody had gone home for the weekend. Right. And we went to a movie that night. It's the first time I ever fell asleep in a movie. <laughs> and and uh, ate and went around and we had breakfast the next day at the Durant Hotel with Pete. And um, yeah, it, that was that was the first time I ever met him. And he was so 
very cordial and, and very, very sophisticated, I thought. I, I remember he had a brown tweed jacket on and a blue button-down collar Oxford cloth shirt and had a rep tie. And he looked like a million dollars. I mean, I had I, I, only seen guys like that in movies. Right. And, and so uh, uh, he asked me a lot of really interesting questions, asked about my family and uh, asked about I had had a lot of academic success as a really young guy. That's why. So I was ten in junior high. Uh, wow. And and uh, so my parents were really apprehensive about me going that far away. That was a long way away from home <laughs> in those days. And uh, so then, before school began, uh, we we I had an uncle who lived in Monterey. We went up, did some fishing there. Then we drove over to Berkeley from Monterey, and. Uh, my mom and dad and I had breakfast again at Durant with Pete, and uh, it was great. It was, it was a wonderful experience, and, and uh, when we left, my dad said to me, that's a really good man. He'll take good care of you. I'm okay with this. And so I was, I was thrilled. You know, right. and I, I want to tell you something. I didn't know until late in my sophomore year that UCLA was part of a system called the University of California system. I didn't know. <laughs> that there was such a system. I, right. I and uh, so, I, I, and it was the single most important decision I've ever made in my life because it was that Cal that I met my wife now of wow. 58 years and uh, just got an education and, and my timing could not have been better uh, because of what happened in 59 and 60. And, uh, and then I, I had a, anyway, that was it, and, and that's that was my first meeting with Pete. That's awesome. Hey, Stan, can we we pause one second? It sounds. Do you have something in the background? It almost sounds like TV or something. Just to be, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. No problem. I, I wasn't even thinking. I had sports radio on. So no, I, all good. I always good. do when I'm working on my keyboard here. No, so it's I'm, all good. Sorry. It's all good. So. Uh, as you head up there to Cal, I mean, you know, here it is, you guys, you know, w get to the final four, win the national championship in 59. I mean, did you, did you know what you were, you were going up there to be a part of? I mean, was it, was it uh, a situation where, where you knew you were going to be, have a chance, you know, to win a national championship or was that, was that not in your mind? Was not even on my radar. Didn't even know such a thing existed. <laughs> I was just going to, you know, get an education, do as well as I could do. I knew I was going to grow. Uh, I, I was, uh, I was six six when I graduated from high school, and I grew an inch that summer. So I showed up on campus at six seven and stayed at six seven all the time I was at Cal. Then I got married, and, and graduated in June of sixty one. Got married in August. And 10 days later, my wife and I were in Madrid, Spain. I was one of the first Americans to play yep. international basketball. And, uh, and I grew, we grew, my wife and I both grew another inch in Spain. <laughs> and, and, and tall guys, I don't know if you know this, tall guys grow late. Later. Yeah. Uh, I mean, keep growing. Bill Walton grew until he was 29. Wow. And Bill's always listed himself at 6'11". He's 7'2". Right. And I'm not exaggerating. He's right. I heard that. I heard that. But he never wanted to be a footer. And, right. <laughs> and, and so uh, uh, that's his deal. So I, I really did not know. I just knew we had to play freshman ball, and I played with Rennie. And, in fact, played against Bill McClintock. And a, a game was boring, what, 55, 52 or something, I don't know. They beat us, I think. Uh, gotcha. But 
it, it uh, he played at Monterey Peninsula College and yep. uh, for Pete uh, Catella, not Catella. I can't remember his last name. Anyway, uh, and it was a big. He was older and very very powerful, strong guy, and that's why he was a starter uh, on that uh, in the Final Four. Right. So, yeah. So talk talk about that. I mean, just the the experience of playing against Oscar in the semis and then Jerry West in the finals. Obviously, you know, we they, they grew into becoming two of the greatest to ever play. But did you know at the time, you know, seeing an Oscar in the final four or Jerry in the finals that wow, these are these are going to be two two outstanding players? Well I, I obviously I read everything that there was to read about them. You know, we all did. So we knew we were playing against great players. And you know of course the Bob Dalton story about shaking hands uh, yep. with <laughs> with uh, Oscar before, right? Here he is he's on the front of Time magazine. He's on the cover, <laughs> and all this stuff. <laughs> Hi, my name's Dalton. What's yours? And, That's great. And, and I think you also know that at the Olympics, that Oscar asked Pete, "Did that guy really not know my right. name?" <laughs> yes, I read that story. That's a great story. And, and great it is story. a great story, and and uh, there was so much of that. You, you need to understand, Pete was such a team guy that if you Practice as hard. I'm going to tell you something, and I, Brett. You never saw guys practice as hard as we did. You never saw guys get in shape the way we did. Right. Uh, banging. We right. in preseason, Pete did not want anybody going full court. It was half court, so we had six baskets, three on each side. Then the two main. We never played on the main in the preseason. We played on the middle one on one side where it was allowed then for the coaches just to sit there. They couldn't coach, but they could observe. And it was three on three. So, wow. you know, if, if someone passed a one wing and screened away, can you guard that guy one-on-one -on -one there? Right. And conversely, can you on the boards became a very, very big deal. And there were a lot of fights in those games because you, you played the seven baskets and uh, – Well, nobody's gonna. You don't want to get off because you'll never get back on. <laughs> and so these were brutal, brutal games. One time, you know the name Joe Cap. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Was he a football? I, played football as well. Yeah, he was on a basketball scholarship and led the football team to the Rose Bowl. The last time right. Cal that was in '59. Right. Uh, to the Rose Bowl, and so he was unable to join the team because he, he was still involved in football. But and later he played in the Canadian League and then in the uh, uh, NFL. And uh, so I'm, he's, a, I mean, a really tough guy, okay? Right. 6'3", 215. And so somebody took a shot. And I'm going to the offensive boards. And Joe didn't block me off. He just kind of – and I tripped Mr. K Klutz. And <laughs> hit him in the back. And he went sliding on the floor right up to where Pete was sitting. And I'm looking for the exits, man. I mean, this is going to be brutal. And he turned around and yelled, Morrison, that's the way to go. <laughs> that's Joe. That's Joe. And, that's awesome. and, and it was simply a culture of there is nothing, you know, playing hard was never uh, negotiable. I right. mean, you, you went so hard. So being a part of it, I tell you that in, in advance to tell you this. So the team was very important. We had a, a bunch of guys that were on the blues. I don't know if any, anyone's ever talked to you about the Blues, which would be like the JV team. Oh, right. So, or you're on the varsity, 
and but you're not getting in games and you need it. We want to see you run in the system. And so you, you could go play a JC. We played a JC uh, schedule. You know, you might play 13 games all on the road and you kick butt, but you ran this stuff. And, and so I was part of that group. And, and also I was behind because I had gotten mono uh, at Christmas time. And in fact, I was in a hospital for three weeks. Wow. That's the first time I ever heard the word leukemia. And they had me, I was fed intravenously for a week in a semi-coma. And then I got, okay. So when I left the hospital to go back, they said, you're out for six weeks to six months. Wow. So I'm just shooting free throws on the side, you know, and, and so this is the first week out of the hospital. I'm so weak. It's a joke. Right. And, and, uh, and so Pete would send the starting five to the locker room and keep everybody else in scrimmage. And this is your chance to shine. Okay. And guys, wow. you can't believe how hard guys played in these pick up scrimmages, not pick right. up but scrimmages. And one of the guys got hurt and I'm the only guy in the gym. And he says, Stan, can you go? I said, sure, coach. I'm not <laughs> supposed to be on the court at all. I'm not even supposed right. to be shooting free throws. Right. And I went, never got off, never got off. Wow. So I'm back in the groove and thank God that that's the best thing that happened to me. I'm on the groove, a part of the team on the bench, you know, play a minute or two here or there. Uh, the one thing you do need to know, I am the leading free throw shooter that year in 1959. Wow. That's awesome. 100%. <laughs> that's right one for one hey that's it <laughs> yeah hey, you'll take it take it any way you can yeah so anyway uh so when we went back you were only allowed to suit a certain number of guys pete was mm -hmm. so upset about that so we the blues we were they're there in coat and tie we didn't even suit for the game so we watched jerry west we watched oscar in the semis and all that stuff and we were certainly a part of every bit of the celebration. We were a part of everything with the team, all meals, everything. But we were not allowed to suit by the NCAA rule. And I think the rule was 13 guys. I could be wrong. Uh, they could suit. So there were – and our group was called the Cannon uh, Fodder Five. We, ran, we would run the, you know, the opponent's stuff. And so we'd be sitting on the bench at games. And we're telling them, hey, set the double screen. All right, step up. <laughs> And they do double takes at us, and, and uh, Ned Averbuck and me and and uh, uh, David Stafford, Bobby Wendell, uh, and uh, Eddie Pearson. Uh, I think that that was a cannon fodder five. So that nice. was in '59, and we celebrated with the team. And at three o'clock in the morning, celebrating in Louisville, Kentucky, I changed majors. I said, I want to be in this environment the rest of my life. And so I changed majors to go into coaching, and it was it was called physical education. They call it kinesiology now. It's called physical right. phys ed. So, so let me ask you the, the great question then. 59, you win it. 60, you guys are back there, beat Cincinnati again, and now you lose to Ohio State. Well, what team was better, the 59 or the 60 team? I, I think the 60 team was better. Uh, I, my teammates would disagree when I say what I'm about to say. Uh, for, first of all, you know, there was not a day off between the games then. Yep. We played Friday and Saturday. Secondly, yep. Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Nice Guy Pete, because the first night was Friday night at the Cow Palace in the Bay Area, of course, uh, he wanted to make sure all the people could get there through the traffic and things, so we played the second game. <laughs> okay. 
So the second game tips off at 9.30. Right. Okay. And uh, and I don't think that there was not national television, I don't believe then. And, uh, and Cincinnati and Oscar were number one in one poll, and we were number one in the other poll. So ostensibly, and we were suited now for this one in, in 60, ostensibly, uh, we were playing for the national championship as far as we were concerned. And having coached after this time, I, I learned a great lesson this particular night. It, it was a great game, physical as could be, unbelievable. I mean, brutally physical, much more physical than you ever see any college game today. Uh, not, not as skilled, not as many jumpers. I mean, people who could jump out of the gym and all that stuff. Uh, but fundamentally, very sound, very, very strong physically. And, and defense was the emphasis for us, of course. And we win the game. The explosion of emotion celebrating in the locker room was unlike anything I've ever seen before or since. Mm. Okay? I mean, there's a dog pile, screaming, yelling, carrying on. You know, we didn't get the game, and we're all sweating like crazy, and, and, and it's, it's just insane, okay? No one thought, hey, we got to have some box lunches or, or dinners for these guys because it's late now. Right. And Pete, again, Mr. Nice Guy, he'll stay in that media room uh, until the last, you know, intern from the Daily Californian at, at Berkeley uh, is done asking questions. So we've had this massive exhaust, and I'm using the word exhausting very clearly, exhausting explosion of emotion. And then we get showered, and we're, then we get coat and tie. That's the way we traveled, and all that stuff. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and waiting. It's well after midnight before he got back. I don't know how late, how much after midnight it was. We couldn't find a place to eat. Until we didn't get to bed until well after three o'clock in the morning. Wow. There was no shoot around that day. And in right. fact, at breakfast, I remember distinctly, the guy said, Who are we playing now? <laughs> you know, it's, think about Lucas Siegfried, Havlicek, Mel Noll, Joel Roberts. I can still rattle them off right now. And they had an easy game the night before against Satch Sanders and NYU. NYU doesn't even have basketball now. Right, right. And so they, they had it. And uh, I, I know you know the story about Pete at halftime saying to Daryl, Daryl, you only got two rebounds. And you know what Daryl said? I, I don't. I, I, he said, oh, he said that, no, there aren't any. <laughs> they, they missed three shots the first half. Oh, man. Yeah, he got two of the three rebounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so they're up 21. And, and we play them even the second half, but it, the game's ostensibly over. And, and uh, so a lot of guys on our team said if we'd had a day off to get rested, regroup, you know, walk through their stuff, we would have beaten them. And it's the one time that I was at Cal that we, we couldn't have beat that team. We play them 10 times, they're going to beat us 10. That was my opinion. Uh, and, and the longer I'm away from that game, the more I, I sense that that is the case. Uh, we might have snagged one. I don't know how. They, they were really something. And right. I don't know how much you know that, that Ohio State team. Yeah. I just, I just love how they had a, a good bench player in uh, Bob Bobby Knight. Knight. <laughs> well, and, and, Pete, and, and Pete and Bobby became close as a result of that yeah. because – because Bobby said, 
how in the world did that team get here? Right. Right. He couldn't, he couldn't believe it. Well, and that's, yes, I wanted to ask you next. I mean, so here it is 59 and 60. You guys lead the country in, in defense, number one defense. You know, you hear obviously Pete's, uh, you know, looked upon later in his career as, as this teacher of big men. But, I mean, you, you guys were, were obviously known as a, as a tough defensive team. Is that right? I mean, what, what was, exactly. was that the staple of those two teams? No question. No question. I'll give you an example. Uh, when we beat Jerry West, you know, West is the only guy to be MVP in the NCAA and NBA finals, uh, be MVP in both, and to lose wow. both games. Right. And uh, he uh, – so we, we get a great tip in by Darrell. We win it 71-70, and that's the only score I know in all the games I ever played in or coached in. And, and he uh, – uh, Pete studied that video, the, the film, very closely. And, and as he set up, you know, the, as we ran the scout squad stuff, he said, they're a very right-handed, quick-shot team. And as you look at the basket, West always played the left forward, if you will, small forward, mm -hmm. a left right. side. And, and Tandy Gillis was defending. And so he wanted Tandy, we want you to deny the entry pass to him if they try to get it, and we'll help you on the back door. So both their guards were right-handed, so we let them go to their right, and they just ran the offense away from West, then block off West on the weak side. Wow. So I, I, this is now we're playing in the finals of the LA Classic at the sports arena, okay? And we had to beat, to get to that game, we had to beat USC, and we're down, I think, nine with one minute to go. We got it in overtime to win, to play them in the finals, and all the people in the papers wrote, you know, we're gonna show you what a fluke Cal's win was last year. Right. So, Tandy's denying, Tandy's doing great, and everybody else is doing the thing, force them right, and we're defending block, and it is only one shot if they can get a shot. and we beat their brains in. I had 20 or whatever it was. And I think I'm correct. I think West had seven points, five free throws, and one field goal. I think I'm Jeez. correct. And West left the court in tears. And <laughs> if you ask him today, I hope you're going to do this with him. If, yeah. Are you, yes. you going to do a podcast with him? I'm going to try to, yes. Yeah. I can get you. You have his uh, – No, I don't. Yeah, we could talk later. I'd love to. I'll give it to I'd you. I'd love to. Okay. okay. So, anyway um, – if you ask Wes, I mean, one time he said, of all the games they ever played, I've never had a greater disappointment than that one. Wow. He was really looking forward to coming back. And uh, we made the other four guys play the whole game for, the, for their team. And great That's win. incredible. So, so you mentioned it earlier, but you, you end your career and then you, at Cal and then you go to Madrid, play, play for a year, and then you kind of embark on a almost 30-year journey in coaching, what was it, was that something, you know, you look back, like did Pete have an impact on, on you, you know, going down the road of being a coach? I mean, obviously you had a chance to play in Europe, but you, you know, you got into coaching pretty soon after. Yeah. I, I came back and did graduate work and, and had a job and, uh, and Pete let me coach the blues, which was a godsend. <laughs> yeah. And, and those guys are my age, you know, and I right. knew them and, and it was, it was wonderful, and I had a chance to do that and really to try some things that, you know, that I wanted to do. And, and uh, that really got my feet wet. Then I was offered several jobs. Uh, I was offered a job at a community college, and then I was offered one at high school in Sacramento. And he said, you need to take the high school job because you need to get a little age separation 
you're going to go in at 22 coaching 18 year old kids. So as opposed to 21, 22 year old guys. So I took the job at El Camino high school and, uh, and uh, Pete came up and saw one of my games and we won. And I coached every pass, every, every bounce. So I overcoached terrible. And uh, he, he made a statement to me afterwards. Uh, Congratulations, great going out. He said, I want to tell you something. Never forget, you get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? Obviously, great. I, here I'm remembering this yep. 60 years later, you know, almost yep. 60. Uh, and uh, I never, never forgot it. And he, uh, there has to be some vinegar sometimes. But yeah, he he came up. I was so honored that he would come up and watch us play. We ran reverse action, right? Ran stuff, and we played ninety-four feet of man defense. Pick you up at the bus, and and we were small. My starting center was six-one. My forwards were five-eleven and five-ten. My guards five-six-five-four, and we and in the bus door open, we'll meet you there. We played, and it was a zone league. And uh, the champions of the league were, were seven feet tall. Jim Akins, who played at BYU later, a kid six seven at one forward, six six at the other forward, six uh, then uh, and the two six foot three guard, uh, six three and six one. Their point guard was the same height as my set, and we almost got him. <laughs> and, and we we fouled out the big dude, and we relaxed, and because we full fronted him and. Help from the weak side came over and trapped him many times. And he got three three second calls in the lane because he couldn't get out. We had him surrounded. But yeah, that's incredible. So you go on here. You you have a uh, amazing distinction to be the only college coach to lead three teams from the state of California to the NCAA tournament. Only coach ever to do it. That's a, that's that's a great great feat. What what I'm just curious. You know some things that you found later on yourself kind of during that career of, you know, those different teams you had where you caught yourself saying like, wow, you know, these were things that impacted me from Pete and here it is. I'm, I'm carrying them on, carrying that legacy on. What, what were some things that you just felt like you took most from him that you then kind of uh, brought to your teams? Well, first of all, conditioning, you know, we, we ran, uh, you know, about running the hill in Berkeley. You've heard that story, I'm sure. Yep. And we did that. And that was, that was awful uh, and painful. And it was a part of the deal. Uh, repeats, repeats and, and uh, hands up. I ran them exactly the same day. So the first day of practice, all, you know, as soon as you've done it once, everybody knows they're talking and they're out working to be in shape because you do not want to come into that stuff. And we'd start 10 minutes of, uh, Hands up, five minutes to the right hand, then five minutes to the left, nonstop. And I stay after them. And then on Wednesday, 12, and then on Friday, uh, 14, then the second week, 16, 18, and 20 minutes of hands up. And, and uh, my whole theme was, are you going to be dominated by the drill or are you going to dominate the drill? Mm. And, and, and the players used to love to dance in front of me, and, and I could, by giving them directions, you know, right. verbally, I can get them going around me, you know, forward, left, back, right, forward, left. I, I have to dance around. 
big guys always hit in the back as they try to, but you can't hide with that. <laughs> but guys learned, and, and then my manager would put up a sign, and, and a big sign, a huge long one on shelf paper uh, above their lockers when they go in after the last day of that stuff. Uh, no team in America is in better condition than University of the Pacific or San Jose State or USC. And but we that was all Pete. That was all Pete. A lot of the breakdown drills were all Pete. You know, the thing about repeats, as much as it was conditioning, it was also about finding out who your leaders were. You know, he'd have us make a hundred in a row. The ball can't touch the floor and all that stuff. I, I took a high school team to 500 and got them through it. And talk about so the repeats. Was, was that tied into three-man weave or? Uh, it's five-man weave. Five-man weave, yeah. Five-man weave down and back would be a one-and-one. One. If he said two-and-two, two, down and back, down and back. Now, he didn't have to get in your face, and he didn't have to scream or yell. Okay, and it's kind of a Bud Wilkinson kind of deal. All he would say is, if you screwed it up, if somebody traveled going in for the shot or with the ball, or if the ball hit the floor or, or you missed a layup, just repeat. So if you're going to make 100 and the guy misses on number 90, you start all over. Well, he's watching the line. I didn't realize it at that time. He's watching the line. Who's cussing at their teammates? And who's like, all right, that's all right. We'll get it. Get 10. All right, that's 10. Now let's get 20. And he knows who his leaders are watching that kind of thing. And I learned wow. that in a big, big hurry. And it was a, it was, it was a great thing to learn. Uh, I mean, we've had guys. We had a guy one time. I, I won't say his name. I remember his name, but I won't say <laughs> uh, One guy who was a JC kid. And I mean, this guy averaged, I think, over 30 in, in, in junior college. And he, we're in this drill, and Pete had one-on-one, down and back with five guys, get off, did it right, new five, down and back, then new five. Now you say two and two, down and back, down and back. Then we do it, keep going. All right, now three and three, down and back, down. He'd build up to seven and eight. Consecutive, wow. same five guys before you get off. And, and sometimes if the ball – Somebody'd lose it, dribbled off their foot, and it would start bouncing. He'd go six, seven, eight, nine. If it hit ten, uh, one more trip for each bounce. So the whole idea, the mentality of that possession of that basketball is so crucial. Wow. Well, as much as that was a conditioning drill, it was a skills drill. That if I'm, if you were playing with, you got the ball and you're making the pass, and I'm going for the shot, you're going to give me a pass that's so good with texture and right locate, I don't have to jump to catch it, that I can't screw it up. So it is, that is built into it. It is a, That's a great point. drill. Great anyway, point. We had this, yeah, we had That's this, it. yeah, we had this uh, guy, and, <laughs> and he went in for the layup and kept running straight, hit the door. We never saw him again. <laughs> he went up, and so, Somebody jumped in and replaced them, and, and we go. We would do that, and and at the end of that drill, it, that drill could go for twenty five minutes. Wow! And at the end of it, guys are, you have nothing left. You're not going to shoot well the rest of the day, that's for sure, because your legs are gone, your body, your arms are gone. But you got through it. You helped each other. The whole idea helping each other, and go always move to the shortest line, because if you, if you go to the longest line, you get another break. And so he watched that. He watched. Wow. He was watching all of that fed into this team concept. That's and, a great point. Uh, 
uh, you know, and so yes, I ran the offense. I, I learned a lot of stuff. I'd call him once in a while, ask him about something, you know, uh, you know, out of diagonal, for instance. We, we ran, I guarantee you, all the guys you're talking to could, could right now run the plays. Okay, <laughs> reverse action, diagonal, dovetail, high post back door, uh, that kind of stuff. Okay. Right. And, and Grabas. You've heard of Grabas. Yes. Have you? Okay. Yep. Okay. So guys could run it. And I mean, he had counters for everything. And as you well know, in the big man camp, it was about counters. If yep. they do this, here's what we do. Uh, if guys overplayed the lead, uh, I don't know if you, you know, he was very big on the inside pivot. Yeah. Yep. Wing, I'm facing the basket and I'm throwing to my right. Most teams are right-handed entry. Mm-hmm. And so you get catch the ball there. He wanted you pivoting on your right jab, stepping with your left. Yep. Well, you're never going to shoot. You know, right-handed doesn't shoot with his left foot forward, right? Right. Anyway, because it, we weren't going to shoot from anyway, it's too far. So, but it was the idea that you had that foot. So you're going to beat a guy on the step before the dribble. Well, you're going to beat a guy over the top, right to the elbow or drop your shoulder and go down the lane or pull up halfway and shoot that little touch shot or crossover step and go baseline and go all the way and power up or all the moves. There's six moves you'll learn out of that triple threat position. Right. And he was adamant about it. Let me ask you something, Brett. How many times in the NBA do you see guys do a reverse pivot over there and step out of bounds? Oh, it's, I, I see pros. I see millionaires. Yep. And, and I mean, I'll see two or three a game against the team. And if you're doing a reverse pivot, you've got a real chance to step on the line. No, you're so right. So, you know, reverse pivot to get – so ideally – if you had your way, you always want a left-hander coming out on that side. Right. And you always want a right-hander on the right side. Right. And, and I don't know if you follow that. Yep. Okay. No, I do. Makes so you sense. play to the right and left hand. So I, as a yep. coach, got very involved in that stuff. Le- left-handed point guards are the best because they'll enter the left side and always to a right-hander. Your team's comfortable. Your postman's probably right-handed going across the lane for the right hand. There you go. You're right. That's, a, that's, that's great for recruiting. Get yourself a left-handed point guard. If I had my way, I would coach only left-handers. They have a huge advantage in sports. And, uh, for you know, in baseball, obviously, it's a shorter distance for a hitter yep. to first base. But in bowling, you know, uh, 89% of all balls are dropped to the right side. The court isn't – or the lane is not as true on the right side as it is on the left. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, there are a million things. They in your instinct when you're playing a guy for the first time is to defend that right hand. And if a guy's yep. got left, he's got you. Yeah, just no, all, right. all the all the closeout principles. Uh, they have an edge. You're right. I wanted to just ask you a couple more questions. This is great, sure. uh, Stan. Um, really appreciate your insight. So let's let's go to the big man camp a little bit. And I'm curious. You know, you played the center position. Did, did you did you sense a, a different passion that Pete had for big guys, you know, when you were playing for him? Because I, I get the sense just from my limited time around him and, and hearing everybody talk about him, 
he was just a great teacher of the game. You know, it, it's not like he was just this big man coach. I mean, as we already said, you had, you had the best defense in the country. He, you know, he, he, he was a great offensive coach. I mean, did you get any kind of sense that, or, you know, with your time with him, that, I mean, this guy loves and has a passion for big men? Yeah, I did. And he took guys, you know, the Daryl M. Huff story about how he got Daryl. You know, yeah. the Dick Dowdy story, you know, with a running jump, Dick might be able to jump over a piece of chewing gum, uh, rest his soul. Uh, and, and then a six, seven guy. So I, I got two big, strong guys. One day we're having a drill. We're rotating the three of us and they're feeding us and we're going live. We're going live. Pete said, okay, I want you to let the guy get the post. But once he's got post, I do not want you to go. I want you to beat the heck out of him. I mean, beat the heck. I want you very physical. And so then we're working on moves, right? Well, those guys, they're so tall and long, they can go across the lane and shoot over the top of you. And, and so I, I had to do things with quickness and jumping ability and lateral movement. And uh, one day after practice, he kept me out there, and, and he said, you're doing something I've not seen. And I said, what's that? He said, well, when a guy's guarding you tightly from behind, the subtleties of faking or fainting, he used to say, uh, are, are it, it's very sophisticated stuff. You know, just little, little of that, guys right next to you, he'll move with it. But you're showing the ball when you do it. And I would show the ball this way and drop step the opposite foot. Right. And then I could go, I could go baseline around. And my, I made a living of lateral movement because anytime you get a big guy moving laterally, you're taking away the vertical dimension. So mm -hmm. I went under. I had a lot of spin shots on that stuff before everybody and their uncle was doing it. <laughs> and, and so I, and I would have a double face and uh, you know, I could show, show, and then come back the first way. Well, if the guy had quickness, I'd beat him. But if they were slow, sometimes they were still recovering to the first one. So go, right. yeah. I, I had that experience with a guy named Jan Krumich, who was seven, three, a Russian guy of three fifty, And I had to slow down the fakes because he played behind obviously. But anyway, he, he, he said to me, he said, I want you to keep doing that. I've not seen that before. Uh, it was not until I was a coach later at uh, USC that he, he had a, a very, a, a, about a technique that I brought to him that he had not seen before. Uh, and uh, it, it's about a denial at the wing you know, denial. And then he used to teach us retreat, retreat, and then open up to the ball and reach for the lane line where the bounce pass is going to go on a back door. Well, if I take you hard out, creating a lead, I step in front and sprint out and you're up on the lead, you're playing on the high side. You know, I, I mean, nobody can get, I can prevent anybody from getting the ball there. Right. Well, but and then I retreat, retreat. Well, if you took me hard two steps and then you could just walk back and get the ball. Right. Right. I'm opening up. And so I taught my guys how to quick head it. We're here, retreat, retreat quick, here, take my face right through the opponent feet and reach, but I allow, allowed them to keep their legs because I was working so hard. I, I was guilty of taking their feet away from them. And, and so I'll never forget this. We're at the University Inn in Idaho. We're playing in Washington State, but we're staying in Idaho. And, uh, and after the game, we're in the hallway outside our room. He said, here's what I saw. Talk to me, what you're teaching. And I said, 
I'm thinking, oh, God, he's going to get mad. <laughs> and he said, that's wonderful. Why didn't I, why didn't I think of that? That's exactly that. Why didn't I think of that? And uh, uh, oh, I had another flashback. It, anyway, it, it, so, let me get this right now. So he said, you really got your guys up on top of the leagues. I said, I know. I, when, I, when I was teaching, opening up as a coach with my team and teaching, I would say throughout America right now, there are coaches who are showing their bread and butter in their offense. Most, 90% of the offense is going to begin from somebody out front, a one-guard front or two-guard front, to a wing. Right. And whether he goes through the corner or cuts through diagonally or screens across, brings somebody or stands still or comes to you and gets a handoff and you go in for the alley-oop, all that, that remains to be seen. Uh, now with so much screen and roll, they run over a set of screen for a big guy. Would. In either case, I said – our job as a defensive team is to cause them to play differently than they practice. So I don't want them to get that ball. I don't care. I, if I'm in a wheelchair, I can prevent you from getting the ball there. I'll just roll my wheelchair out and stand there. Oh, yeah, you can back door. But I'm promising everybody here that for every pass that gets through on a back door, we'll get nine of them. Mm -hmm. Okay? One, they get one out of ten, we get nine of them. And we're going the other way. Nothing better than going the other way on the steal. So you got to sell it. And if you get back door, I applaud the kid. Great defense. What's, what's your job? You said, coach, don't let them get the ball at the free throw line. Instead. Exactly. Right. And that's what we're doing. Okay. So that's what we would do. And, and then putting the quick head in, and all of a sudden the kids are picking it up. Well, we used to do a lot of split court drills. I don't know if you did. Yeah. Where you, if you had a rope from one rim to the other, the front. Mm -hmm. so yeah, we stay on one side. Yeah, one-on-one. Then we would do guard forward live. Then we would do guard forward center live. And you play it until the defense gets the ball. If, right, if the right. offense gets it on the wrong side, they got to come back to this side. Mm -hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday on the right, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday on the left. Mm. And it is blood and guts. And making a pass, and of course you have the five second count, and you got to put, you're, now you're putting pressure, and the, the poor guard with the ball, I mean, we're on him and in him, and he can't go to the other side. It's a great teaching model for guys it, it, it right. is, it's a very live and, and it translates well to the game and uh and That's we great. got it yeah yeah so Stan, oh, oh good good i'm sorry no, i was just gonna say there's so many things like that 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 i remember with dealing with pete one time very quickly we, we were uh, i'm at sc and my first year we're playing at the uh sun something or other Sun Devil Classic. The SC, we're a conference school. We're involved in this tournament at Arizona State. They've got Fat Lever, Byron Scott, Kurt Nymphius, Sam Robinson, and a, and a big center, I want to say Wilkins or something. All five guys got drafted. We're there. My, I, I got a 6'8 center, and I got a bunch of guys named Joe, okay? We go 94 feet a man, and Pete is doing color commentary. Wow. Yeah, he's doing color commentary. And we're playing straight man, and we beat them in their own tournament. And SC wow. had one. And it was our second tournament win because we beat Houston in their own tournament in Houston. And my guys, they nobody on the team had ever been in a winning tournament. And, and, you know, wow. So it, it was a great – and afterwards, they brought me over to talk to Pete. 
And he says to me, he says, I, it's like yesterday, he said, lad, I can't believe what I saw. I saw <laughs> 40 minutes of the best man defense I've seen in 10 years. He said that to me, and I said, oh, that's God awesome. has spoken. God, it, was a, it was a great, obviously, a great moment for me. That's and, awesome. And for our kids. It was a, it, that's it, awesome. You could do that. He could, he could sell it. And boy, did he get excited when you deflected. Right. Uh, you know, he, he really did. That's great. Well, that's what I wanted to end with, Stan, is, you know, the part, one of the main purposes of this podcast series is just is simply to just carry on his spirit and his legacy. And um, he impacted so many lives. And I'm, I'm just curious, again, you, you've talked about some great things. Just, you know, maybe one more thought of, of you know, one th- maybe main thing that you would say is, it has to be um, – continue to be passed on as far as um you know his spirit his legacy you know kind of the, one of the, one of the main things you would say that has to be passed on to the younger generation because he impacted so many people and, and I think that's got to continue even though obviously he's not here the spirit is still here yeah uh, there, there are two things uh one is the spirit of the game uh, is is generated not by the coach, but by the players, and to give them license to to be spirited, to enjoy it. That that was something that always stuck with me. And he had, he had great relations with every single guy, and and some guys were more spirited than others. And you know, you're younger. If you're not as competent, you, you may not be as spirited, but you're a part of that. I mean, walking off at halftime, you're going in, you haven't seen one second of play, and he puts his arm around your waist. He said, you see what Daryl did on that drop step? All right, you're gonna, I'm going to get you in there the second half now. I expect to see that from you because you're quicker. All <laughs> that, that, the spirit of the game comes from the players and, and, and to give them license as a coach. The, the second thing is the machinations of the game. The greatest challenge in coaching is to teach the same fundamentals over and over and over again but to do it in different drills. Footwork, you're still working on the same, same principles, but they're being introduced in new different drills. I mentioned 1-1, one, 2-2, one, 3-3, two, two, three, three, split court. Then you take it to 4-4 four, four, or go two wings live. You got two right. dummy guards and two wings live and, and how you're denying on one side and the other guy's helping. Now the ball's swinging and now you got to go out. Now the guy back doors. Did this guard get over or this guy and meet him outside the paint and take right. the charge? And did the defensive guy who got backdoored do a run through to take the other guys? That, that's the single most uh, – that's the most dangerous drill in basketball, by the way. Right. More concussions on my teams, more concussions. <laughs> a guy's running into each other. Right. I got to you. Do it, to understand yeah. the run through. You know, when you get backdoored and somebody's helping you, you run through to take the first open guy. Right. And, and we, gotcha. we get now a lot of – you know, these guys are, pulled, you know, uh, spotting up. So – uh, he, his, he, he and I, probably the longest conversations we ever had were to manipulate drills to get the same footwork from this drill to that drill without emphasizing uh, the player, get the player to translate it from the one-on-one situation to this situation to this situation. So they all of a sudden understand. I, I don't know if you know that, I don't know if anybody ever told you this, Pete loved it 
that there's a party on Saturday night after the game. He wanted our team to be the best dancers at the party because he knew it was footwork. Right. I don't know if that's part of his of his Hollywood background. <laughs> and we had some pretty good dancers. But right. the, whole, the whole point being to, to learn how to slide and move your feet cleverly and be quick and anticipate and looking to do that stuff. And, 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 and the constant repetition over just a few things that made you fundamentally really an astute pro player. And, and that, that was where I personally felt I grew more than anything I did. I spent so much time on drill work and, and, and putting a practice plan together. And the practice plans were one of the most important things I ever did. I loved it. Three hours every night. That, that's, that's great. And again, these, these, we could go on forever because the stories yeah. are endless. And uh, I, I just, I appreciate so much you sharing your, your time with him and, and how he impacted you. And again, we just want to get this wisdom from you out to other people and other coaches, because uh, you, you were one of the few that had a chance to play for him. And, uh, and obviously you were there during some great, great years uh, with him. So again, thank you for the, uh, time and I really appreciate all your all your wisdom today. Thank you, Brett. I, it's an honor to have a chance to talk. Anytime your name is in the same sentence with his, you've been honored. <laughs> That's great.